0: Well, good morning. Oh, let's do that one more time. Good morning. Oh, I know there's only a few of us, but it's not the numbers that fill the room. It's faith that fills the room, right? So good morning. Okay, we'll, we'll get there. I'll, we'll get practice in. Don't worry. So as Blake mentioned, uh, I am up here preaching, and you were probably wondering when he said, I'm not, who is it? And you can always tell the difference between us because he's got more hair. He's um, also twice as energetic as I could ever be up here and probably anybody else for that matter to be up here um, But uh, as he said, my name is Tommy And I am our next-gen pastor, which just means I have the coolest job in the church You see no matter where the church is located where the church is at or what you are doing in your church You're a kid pastor. You're a youth pastor. You're a next-gen pastor You get to uh, what I say is let your toys r us kid out Um, you kind of get to be a kid with them. You also get to see in real time the Lord work in the lives of our next generation right there in front of us. And so it's an awesome, awesome position to be in. Um, If you are not a part, shameless plug, if you're not a part of our kids ministry, it's Kids Rock, um, or our student ministry, BYG, you should be. It is a lot of fun. But as always, I like to do the pastoral thing. You get up here and you want to talk about your family. I don't have pictures. Uh, maybe next time. Um, but I am married. I'm married to my wife, Candice. Uh, we have been married. This November will be seven years. And so uh, if you want to know who Candace is, Candace is always a lady out at Kids Rock. She's always helping to check in your, uh, your kids, uh, making sure they get in safe and sound. And as well, she makes sure that they get back out to you uh, in one piece. Um, and so... Uh, she's also a part of Dwell, and so if you're a lady in the house and you haven't been a part of Dwell yet, I would encourage you to get connected with that. Dwell's the women's ministry here at Bedrock, and it's a place for you. It's a place for you to get connected with other women in the church, and so you would meet Candace there. Well, seven years in our worldly standard can sometimes seem like a lot, and a lot of people will always want to ask me, well, Tommy, how did you know, especially our students, they'll always want to, how did you know that you love Candace? Like, how did you know that you wanted to marry her, propose to her? How did you know she was the one? And quite frankly, it was really simple for me. Uh, she told me. Um, as time went on and, and marriage life continues and the years go by, people then want to know, like, well, Tommy, uh, how is married life? Like, how is it? Like, it's, got, it's so wonderful, right? How is it going? And, and a lot of times I can just say, well, it's, it's kind of like being an AA sometimes, you know, just. Hi, my name is Tommy. Uh, I'm a husband. Uh, it has been close to seven years since I've made my last decision. Um, last week, I, I had the notion of, for an opinion, but, you know, thank God for sponsors because mine came over and we worked that thing out, you know. <laughs> but in all, it's, it's a lot of fun. Marriage life is a lot of fun, and, I, and I've learned being married that the list is real, What I mean, as young men, we always hear about the list that we're going to get when we get married. That to-do list, right? To make something, build something, create something, like just do something. Um, Well, my wife knows that I can't really make or create anything. And so like mine is kind of like when I go to the grocery store. Um, I I feel like I can't even go for one item. Uh, Like I'm going to go for just that one. I'm going to come back with like a bunch of candy bars or something. I don't know. But I feel like a kid sometimes, like I just need to pick up that backpack and skip on down to the store. Be like, my wife says to get me these. Put them in my backpack. You know, but again, you know, it's one of those things, too, in married life where we've now bought a house. And I kind of feel like an adult now. And uh, we have this bathroom, right, that I'm not allowed to enter. Uh, it's full of decorative towels that I'm never ever allowed to use and I'm, I'm always wondering like when are all these dirty people showing up at my house to use my bathroom and it's kind of it's interesting but in all it's a lot of fun. Um, we also have two in our household. I am surrounded by ladies, and so this is why this happened. Um, you know, six years ago, we were able to adopt Kaiva, and uh, Kaiva is, is wonderful. And two years after that, we were able to adopt Muki, and, and uh, in both ways, they were broken, but especially, and I'm not talking about babies, I'm sorry. I'm talking about our fur babies. We have chihuahuas, another reason why I'm like this. Um, they are a handful But we love them nonetheless, and we can imagine doing life without them. Or I probably should say we can't imagine doing life without them. I'm pretty sure my mother-in-law is going to text me a nasty text on that one. She loves our dogs. Um, But in reality, I I didn't come up here today to really um, give you some jokes or to talk about our, our family life or our dogs or anything like that. I really came up here because I believe that there is a message for you today. I believe that God is, is wanting someone here or someone online to hear what he has to say. To set up our message, there's just a little bit, little bit of my testimony that needs to go in. Just so we can understand the direction of where we are going. And so I can tell you, I'm not from Florida. I was born in Ohio. I am a true and true Buckeye. Uh, I'm also sadly a Browns fan. So, uh... Previous years, yes, I needed your prayers, but I think they're coming true because they're doing pretty well right now. Um, But I am a Buckeyes fan for sure. But in Ohio, I was born in what you could say is a broken home. Uh, My dad was an alcoholic. He was a drunk. He was an habitual abuser of violence. Um, Not only was I physically abused, but I was mentally and emotionally. Um, Every day it seemed as if I could hear his tone telling me, I'm not wanted, I was an accident. I wasn't meant to be born. I'm not his real son. When my later two brothers were born, the actions became real as he spent his time with them and showing me that those were his real sons and I was not. My mom, well, she did everything she could to keep our family together. My mom worked multiple jobs to help make things or ends meet, I should say. And she did the, the best thing possible for us. She made sure that me and my brothers went to church. And she took us to church every week. But life was still not easy. You see, we struggled. We struggled financially. And we had to live in unsafe places, oftentimes, sometimes in shelters. And we were homeless a few times. And in those moments, our family had to separate. And when I say separate, I mean my brother stayed with my parents and I was shipped off somewhere else. And so if you could just imagine what that does to the heart and a mind of a child, it's not... Good. But when it comes to my testimony, I could go deep into it and explain the number of youth shelters and foster care homes I was placed in growing up. I could talk to you about the way my dad would use the cops and the juvie centers as babysitting services when he didn't want me to be home. Many of my birthdays, holidays, Christmases spent somewhere else other than with my family. I could talk to you about the gangs that I joined, and yes, that was plural, By 14, I was in two gangs, all in an effort to fill this void in me of just wanting to feel accepted, to feel loved and wanted. I could talk to you about all the violence and the drug dealing I did then, but there's something I I cannot tell you I've been delivered from, and as I have not been delivered from drugs, because I have never done a drug, and I mean no alcohol or cigarettes have ever touched my lips, but there was something I was addicted to. And that was the emotional feeling of anger. You see, like I said, my mom, she took us to church. But being in church where I was hearing about this God that loved me, this God that wanted the best life for me, this God that was the father to the fatherless, and yet I'm looking at my earthly dad and, well, quite frankly, he made me feel like he hated me. It left me confused. And in a confused state, it also led me to hating life and and church itself. Living a life of heartache and pain, but not really ever understanding the why behind it, well, that led down a road of unforgiveness, bitterness, and pain. And ultimately, regret. You see, growing up in the church and not understanding the personal relationship we are to have with Jesus, well, it just led me to seeing church as a place of rules and restrictions. And so at 17, when I was on my own during my senior year, I left. And so a lot of people want to know, like, well, how is it possible that that you're in ministry? How is it possible that you're a pastor? How are you even working with kids and youth today? Well, the honest truth is, I got to experience what it meant to be the one out of the 99. To be the one that God would go chasing after. The one that he would go searching for and the one he would do nothing but to try and find, because he did get a hold of me. He got a hold of me and he showed me what it means to have a real relationship with him, to be loved and accepted by him. In other words, you can say he wrecked my life in the best way possible. And he showed me that my past is not one to hide from. That in fact, my past, my testimony, it has power to change lives. Because of all that I've gone through, all that You can say, God allowed me to go through. I have the ability of reaching those that our society would say is unreachable. And those, those that know the old me today, I get to show show them the new me. The new me that comes with the transformation power that Jesus brings when we enter a relationship with him. And that leads me to who I want to talk to you about today. And that is Joseph. I believe the life and the story of Joseph not only resonated with me, but it resonates with all of us in many ways. And so today, the message title for us today is this, I don't look like what I've been through. And I praise Jesus that I don't. For if I look like what I've been through, I wouldn't be able to go out. I would not be able to show my face. I would be too scarred to be seen in public because I've been through too much. So much, in fact, that if I was left to be seen for what I've gone through, let me tell you, I, I'd make the toxic crusader look like a GQ contestant. And if I just went too old school on you, Google it. You'll find out how nasty that guy was. But but I thank God. I thank him for his covering. I thank him for his anointing. I thank him for his healing, and most importantly, I thank him for his image, the image he placed on me. Because of that, I don't look like what I've been through. And so today, this is the topic I want to dig into. I want to dig into why it is that we shouldn't look like what we've gone through, why we shouldn't look like what we've been through at all. But why it is we need to cast out the lies of the world when it tries to put its image on us. And so, if you have your Bibles, and if you have a phone, you do. I'm going to ask that, that you turn with me really far into the Bible. We're going to go to Genesis. I know, it's, it's deep. Genesis chapter 41. I'm going to start in verse 46. But before I read, I want to let you know two things. One. I like to preach from the King James Version, sometimes New King James, because, quite frankly, I don't think I'm that smart of an individual. But God calls me a royal priest, right? And so when I get to speak out of the King James, I kind of feel like a royal priest. And so, like, I'm going to speak to you out of the King James today. Two, church is participatory. It's not a spectator sport. You didn't come here to sit in a chair, listen to someone read a few verses, and then go on your way. You came here to participate in the spirit of God and what he's doing in this place. So, church, it is 100% okay to shout out an amen. Give a little bit of a clap. Shout a hallelujah. If you got a towel, you can wave it too, just as long as it's not white and you're going down. I mean, do whatever you need to. There you go. I like it. There you go. And so I want to I practice a little bit just to kind of warm things up because, man, our, our good morning was a little whoop. Uh, so let me hear you guys say amen. amen. Let me hear you say hallelujah. hallelujah. Let me hear you say preach it, white boy. Preach it, white boy. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few of you. I know some of you was like preach. It. Oh, I don't know. Can I say that? Is that okay? It's okay. It's all right. You'll see why. So <clears throat> chapter 46 or chapter 41 verse 46. I will skip a few things but but I'll uh, follow along. Verse 46 and Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh king of Egypt and Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt and in the seven plenteous years the earth brought forth by handfuls. Let's go on and skip down to verse 50. In verse 50 it starts and unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Athenus, or Athanath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of An, that's a tongue twister, bore unto him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God said, he hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called him Ephraim. For God hath called me to be fruitful in the land. Of my affliction. Let's go ahead now and let's skip over to chapter 42. In chapter 42, I will read from verses 1 down to verses 8, and then I will be done. And so, let's look at what it says right in the beginning of 42. Now, when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do ye look one upon another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from this, that we may live and not die. And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob sent not with his brethren, for he said, Least preadventure mischief befall him. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came. For the famine was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came, and they bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them. But he made himself strange unto them, and he spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. Verse 8 is our last verse. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. If you have a pen, a highlighter, some way to mark that verse, you want to do so so it sticks out for the rest of your life. This is the verse I'm going to hinge on today. So I'm going to read it one more time. Verse 8, and Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. Like I said earlier, as I was trying to understand what God was telling me, as I was going through these verses, and I was trying to understand how my testimony somehow was fitting with Joseph and how it resonated with us, I found it fitting to call today's message, I don't look like what I've been through. So will you look at the person next to you and tell them, I don't look like what I've been through? Now the person you ignored, can you tell them you don't look like what you've been through? (laughs) <laughs> you see, in truth, I know that there is somebody perhaps watching in. There's someone that will be listening to this service, and there's someone here. There's someone here that can say, I have been through hell and high water. I have been through trials. I have been through tribulation. I have been through a fire, and I've just gone through a flood. But you wouldn't know it by looking at me because I don't look like. You see, the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that Joseph's brothers knew him not, but he knew them. He knew them, but, but they didn't know him. I believe the life of Joseph resonates with our spirit on many levels. You see, it speaks to adversity. It speaks to tragedy. It speaks to the unexpected happening. It speaks to the backstabbers in your midst, the haters in your midst. It speaks to the dream killers and dream tees. It speaks to the the, the vision haters and the purpose killers. The story, it also speaks to sibling rivalry. It speaks to jealousy and envy, and it speaks to the depravity of man. The story of Joseph also speaks to timid parenting, passive parenting, because Jacob did not rule his house well. The story of Joseph speaks to us on many levels. But beyond the negative, it also speaks to us with many positives. For you see, the story speaks of comeback. It speaks of restoration. It speaks of redemption. It speaks of God's preserving power. God's provision or continuation of provision of strength. It speaks of resurrection power. It speaks of turnaround, and it speaks to opulence. The story of Joseph, it also speaks to us and resonates with some words we all need to memorize. Forgiveness, of second chances, of love. His story resonates on many levels. And by the time that we are introduced to you, where I had picked up In chapter 41, Joseph has been for 13 years struggling. You see, at the age of 17, he was cast into a pit. And then he was sold into slavery, and he was made a slave in Potiphar's house. And for 13 years, he endured slavery, and he endured prison. But as we look into chapter 41, as if it just comes out of nowhere... He is on his way from the prison, and he is asked to go interpret a dream of Pharaoh. Upon interpreting the dream, we know what happens. He is made the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. You see, after 13 years, he goes from obscurity to notoriety. He goes from poverty to opulence. He goes from barely enough to more than enough. He goes from shopping at the thrift store to being able to buy Louis Vuitton, Coach, and Chanel. Are you understanding what I'm telling you? 13 years. 13 years of hardship and struggle. And what seems to be out of all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he's summoned and his life, his life turns around. And so I think the first thing that I would like to say to you today The first thing I want you to make special note of is this. You should never give up on your dream. Never give up on your dream. You should never give up on what God showed you. For what God showed you, he means, and God can do anything but fail. After 13 years, it may seem like the dream would not come to pass. After 13 years, the vision, it starts to blur, and perhaps it starts to feel like it's not going to become reality. But just when you start to pack everything up and you want to tuck the dream under your bed and you want to remove the vision from your computer, that is when God tends to step in and say, all right, you are ready. You are ready for me to step in and to do so right now. And so the second thing, the second thing that we need to talk about. We need to make special note that when we're going through hardship, it can become easy. It can become easy to start to see and to accept the hardship as norm. And when we do that, we there's this mental thing that starts to happen with our minds when we start to say things like, Well, this must be God's best for me. Church, the devil is a liar. We need, we need to be careful. We need to be careful that during the hardship, not to, not to become or to accept or to even become too comfortable in the hardship. And so our second point is this, and uh, something I think that is very important for us to know is that Joseph made a shift. He made a shift. You see, he realized that he wasn't in prison anymore. He realized he wasn't a slave anymore. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 40... That just before he went to go see Pharaoh, he shaved his head and he changed his clothes. In other words, he didn't show up looking like his past, he showed up like his future. He made a shift. There's someone here, someone here, someone watching. There's someone that just needs to make a shift in your mind. You need to know it's one thing for God to come into your life, to come in and to start moving things around, to get you out of your Egypt, to maintain you through the wilderness, and then to take you into the promised land. But now you're in the promised land. Your externals have changed. But your internal has not changed. You see, I'm telling you that you have arrived. You have arrived and you have entered a faith community, but you are still dead on Fabulous. Your externals have changed, but you have not made the shift to change internally. I think this is important that I understand that you follow me. So can I hear you say make a shift? shift. Okay, we're still getting there. It's okay. It's okay. My wife hates this part. I, I kind of ran this by her a little bit, and she's like, oh, I don't know if you should do this. But I want to give my message, my message a, a, a subtitle. If I could subtitle it for you today, I would call it Flush the Toilet. You see, there are just some things that tend to happen in our lives. And instead of trying to hold on to them, you got to let it go down the drain. we got to let it wash off us. We can't let it spread in us. We got to get it out of us because we can't take it to the next level. You need to get it out of your system and flush it. I mean, Pee Wee, gone. Amber, gone. Trevor, gone. Anxiety, gone. Depression, gone. Take those things and flush them. Perhaps you need to change the lock. Change the pictures. Take the old and flush it. And so most of us here... And I really do hope, all of us really, we do one of two things every single day. We either shower or we take a bath. You see, we go into a new day with a bath or a shower and what we are signifying is this. I know I picked up some dirt yesterday. Matter of fact, I know I picked up some stuff yesterday, but I'm not willing to let it contaminate my today. So before I go forward, I'm going to wash it. Because why are you going to take that stuff into the promised land? You may need to get rid of your nasty attitude. You may need to let go of the ex. As we said, 13 years. 13 years of hardship. And now he is the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. And by chapter 42, we are almost in the middle portion of this seven years of famine. So if we take the 13 years and the 7, we have 20. 20 years since Joseph has seen his brothers. Let me make sure you understand the math with me. It's been over 20 years because 13 years was in hardship due to prison and in slavery. And then we have the 7 years of plenty, and now his brothers are there during the famine. We have a minimum of 20 years since he has seen His brothers. You know, many things have happened in the life of Joseph now since he's last seen his brothers. He rides in the second escalade of the Royal Patrol. He lives in the second biggest house in all of Egypt. He has multiple refrigerators and widescreen TVs. He just doesn't have cable. He's got satellite with all the sports channels and ESPN. He gets to go to the the spa now and get facials, exfoliation, and massages. Are you listening to what I'm saying to you? I'm talking to you about a man, a man who is blessed by God, a man that came out of something because he let God have his way. 20 years have passed. 20 years have passed, and Joseph is just now finishing the seven years of plenty. But the famine hits. Famine hits. Hardship hits, and this famine, it spreads all the way to Jacob's house and where his sons are living. But by now, Jacob's sons, well, they have tried to erase the memory of their brother. It is as if Joseph never existed. More like in their minds, he was dead. Everybody had moved on as if Joseph had never even existed at all. When I read that part of the story, I find it funny that in life, It's funny that when people try to write you off, they want to write you off and make you feel like you're not going to be something or somebody. You just feel like they just dropped you off at the bottom of a hill. We need to remember the devil is a liar. And so his brothers, though, his brothers, they come to Egypt because Jacob sends them. He sends them to get food due to to hearing that there was food to gain in Egypt. And when they get to Egypt, chapter 42 tells us, They came before Joseph. He recognized them, but they did not recognize him. The Bible also tells us that they bowed down. They bowed down before him, and when they bowed down, Joseph had to take a step back because he had a moment of deja vu. You see, he's been here before. When he was like 17, he had seen the stars and the moon bowing. And now here are his brothers because what can't God do? Let me hear you say it, church. God can't lie. lie. Oh, we're still getting there. God can't lie. God can't and won't fail on what he says. So they've come after 20 years, 20 years of hardship, 20 years of trial and trouble. And Joseph is just coming out of the seven years of plenty. And the Bible says that as they begin to come up after bowing down, they look at Joseph, but they don't recognize him as Joseph. And while they are looking at him and not recognizing him, Joseph is looking back, and without a doubt, he recognizes them. And this is my third point for you today. This tells us one very important thing, and that is that they had not progressed. They had not grown. They had not changed, but Joseph has changed so much that they couldn't even recognize who he was. You see, when he left them, when he left them, he was wearing messed up clothes, but now they're seeing him again. He's got on gold cloths. When he left them, he was looking all jacked up, and now he's all put together. Matter of fact, the Bible says that he has workers, interpreters, and staff. Once again, I find it amazing in life Amazing in life that when people get to come back and they get to see you after some time has passed, they come with this expectation, right? It's like they expect to see you all jacked up with like three teeth, no hair, and and you're hitchhiking all over town because you can't find a ride. The devil is a liar. This is why I believe God showed me what I was going to do. Why God gave me a dream bigger than the drama that I was going through. I want to make sure you still wait. Can I hear you say, "I I don't look like what I've been through. You see, you shouldn't look like what you've been through. You shouldn't look like it. You shouldn't smell like what you've been through. You shouldn't talk like what you've been through. In other words, when you get the opportunity to open your mouth and to share your testimony, it should be a shock. You were an addict. You were a womanizer, a cheat. You were a gang member. You were a drug dealer. You were depressed, anxious, moody. But as you get your opportunity to share your was," their mouth should hit the floor in shock. Because the you that you are now is so far removed from the you that you were back then. Let me tell you, You shouldn't look like what you've been through. I have been through many hard things. Many. I've been through the fire, but I do not come out with the smell of smoke. You are not supposed to look like what you've been through. So may I tell you. May I tell you today that God's word is going to come true. And it's going to come to pass. He is going to make everybody that talked down about you, everybody that pointed a finger at you, everybody that kicked dirt on you, everybody that wrote you off, everybody that laughed in your face, smiled in your face, rolled their eyes in the back of their heads, he is going to make everyone drop their mouths in shock. Because by the time that you guys get to meet again, you will be so far advanced that they won't be able to recognize the person you have become that is the mighty god that we serve and so if you're ready if you're ready for a shift let me hear you give god a round of praise john and and the worship team they can go ahead and, and make their way up Whether you're tuning in or or you're listening to this at a later date, or perhaps you're here right now. You're here and you're saying, well, I believe I am in need of a shift. Well, guess what? It is never too late for God to come in and to start to move things around. It's never too late for God to come in and to help make a, a shift in your life happen for you right now. In other words, it's never too late for God to make a way out of no way amen and so church i'm gonna ask you are you ready for the shift are you ready for the world to recognize that you don't look like what you've been through if so i'm gonna ask that we go into a moment of prayer as we go into this moment of prayer i'm gonna ask that you that you repeat this after me and yes out loud so let's pray say with me jesus Come into my heart. I renounce my allegiance to this world and I pledge my allegiance to the Lordship of Christ. From this moment forward, I am yours. Father, I thank you because I know you can do anything but fail. Can we give the Lord a shot of praise today? Let's let the world, our community, and everybody listening know that we just decided to make a shift with the Lord, to move with the Lord, and to go with the Lord. So as the worship team prepares to take us out, can we give the Lord a shout of praise?